Hey everyone, I want to invite you to check out our brand new online learning platform, Windows into the Bible University. Windows into the Bible University offers a full curriculum that will help you understand how to read the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. It provides efficient and affordable biblical education and is revolutionizing how we study the Bible by helping you to feel confident in your ability to understand and interpret the scripture. Windows into the Bible University offers monthly and annual subscriptions. Please check us out and note that going to the website, you can actually access a free course on the Lord's Prayer. That's Windows into the Bible University, WITBUniversity.com, revolutionizing Bible reading so that you can be confident in your ability to understand and interpret the Bible. Listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Are you ever confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find meaning in what it is you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing out on something that the author intended for you to get? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to understand and interpret the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. I'm really excited about our episode today because I get to share with you one of my favorite people in the world. Um, He is a great friend. He is my pastor, even though we're a few states removed from one another. But I want to introduce you to Greg Surratt, who is the founding pastor of Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He is also the president of the Association of Related Churches, better known as the ARC. And I'm thrilled to have him on and for us to have a conversation today about the Bible and church and reading the Bible and so forth. So, Pastor Greg, thanks for being on, and uh, welcome. Hey, my privilege. And uh, we've kind of got a bromance going on here because you are one of my favorite people on the planet, too, and uh, have so enjoyed our time together over the last few years, getting to know one another and then also traveling to Israel together. So I'm my privilege on being here. I'm excited about it. Well, Pastor Greg, could you give us a little bit of your background? Um, You know, we've traveled now, what, we've done like five, six trips to Israel together. And traveling with Seacoast folks is one of the, the greatest experiences that I have leading trips to the lands of the Bible. And you guys have a really unique community 
So could you just talk a little bit about yourself, your family, because I know that that's big also for you, and then Seacoast a little bit. Sure. Um, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Debbie, for a lot of years. I'm not sure exactly how many, somewhere north of 40. And um, she keeps track of the the individual years. I I need to keep on top of the ones that end in zero and five. So uh, yeah, we're, we had four children and um, uh, they're all married. They all live here in the Charleston area and we have 14 grandchildren. And uh, so that's fun. In fact, you may hear some screams uh, on this podcast. <laughs> one of the families is between houses right now, so they're living with us. And uh, so that's always a joy. But yeah, family's a big deal. And uh, uh, all of our family either works in the church or serves in the church. And uh, so that's, I think that's been good for us. Um, Seacoast Church, we started 32 years ago as kind of an experiment, and uh, we wanted to be who we are, and I come from a similar background that you do, Mark, um, uh, Pentecostal Assembly of God, and we wanted to be, uh, somehow be an expression that um, that values our heritage uh, but is very, very accessible to unchurched people. And uh, so that's been our journey. And uh, it's been uh, it's been really a great ride. It has. Uh, you always have ups and downs. You always have challenges. But uh, I have to pinch myself every once in a while and say, uh, is this really happening? Because it's uh, it's really been a rewarding experience. Well, of course, part of the the Seacoast experience is the fact that you all are very pioneering in the whole multi-site experience of churches. How, and I know that different churches that do multi-site are a little bit different. Could you just say a few words just so the listeners have an idea about what your culture is of a multi-site church within Seacoast? Sure. We had, we, we didn't know multi-site from page three um, 20 years ago. <laughs> And what happened was we were trying to, we were in a growth uh, period and we were trying to build a bigger building and we're in the Southeast and, and, you know, we, uh, we just thought that'd be easy. And our city said, no, uh, that you cannot um, build a bigger building on your, your, your uh, uh, acreage there. Uh, It was in the middle of a, not my backyard kind of a deal, zoned our land where we couldn't do anything at that time. And uh, so we had to experiment, and uh, we are credited with being one of the early uh, adapters of of multi-site. There were a lot of people that were that were trying to figure it out back then, but uh, we kind of we kind of tried to to uh, fly the airplane while we were fixing it. And uh, uh, it, the way it's landed is that we have 14 campuses, uh, mostly in South Carolina. Uh, one just over the border in North Carolina in Asheville. And um, we function as uh, one church, many campuses. Uh, we have a video model where uh, there is a preacher or teacher who uh, teaches in one place. And um, uh, usually all the campuses are online. Occasionally there is, uh, you know, uh, some individual things going on. Uh, we have a teaching team where it's not the same person every week. In fact, um, the way we function is we have a different, a different person speak uh, 
um, every at least every week uh, for four weeks. In other words, I don't think I explained that well. But <laughs> first week, there'll be somebody. Second week, somebody else. On and on and on from four to six weeks. And so uh, it's kind of a unique model. Well, the question that I have that has always struck me, again, traveling with groups out of Seacoast is with 14 campuses, with the the growth that you've had, your community is one of the most biblically literate communities. And I've talked about this with, with local Israeli tour guides that have been on our groups. They agree with me on this. How is it that you encourage and instruct and model a culture that grows that kind of biblical literacy within Seacoast? Wow. Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it's not surprising because you've told me before, but the first time you told me, it was a big surprise. And I thought, wow, that speaks a lot for our church or else it, it, it speaks something about other churches. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, um, I don't know that I have, that there's, there's such thing as, somebody taught me one time that, that they, sometimes you have conscious competencies. In other words, you're good at things and you know why you're good at things and you write books about the things that you're good at. And then the other side of that is sometimes there are unconscious competences. In other words, you're good at something, but you really don't know why or how. It just kind of is that way. And I would say we're you know somewhere in between, but we lean more toward that second one. Um, we the things that we do is you know uh, obviously Bible teaching every week. Uh, we make a priority of the supremacy of God's word uh, in our lives. Uh, so that's kind of a, a given in the culture. Um, we encourage people to have uh, daily times with God if you can. Um, we've done uh, some, like one year we did uh, through the Bible in a year, and mm -hmm. uh, which I personally hate. Um, I'd like <laughs> to go through the Bible in like, 20 years, you know, because <laughs> I don't do good at skimming. Well, I do skim some in the Old Testament occasionally, but, uh, or, or have in those reading programs, but I like to dig in a little bit, let, you know, learn and, and all of that. So one year Bible programs are just terrible for me, but I endured that year. It was wonderful. <laughs> I got all the way through it. And what we would do is we, and by the way, my wife is so steady and consistent She's read through the Bible, you know, probably just about every year, you know. Uh, so anyway, that's the saving grace in our, our family. But what we would do is we would preach on the weekend on whatever it was that they were reading, supposed to read that week. And that was fun. That really was a lot of fun. But, um, you know, just it's a priority. And uh, we talk about it a lot. So I, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, uh, well, I, I can say that whatever whatever you're doing is working because what I have experienced is the ability, not just with one or two, because usually on, you know, on a group of uh, people going to, to the Bible lands, you, you'll have a couple that will be really 
really strong in their knowledge of the Bible, but not as a group in total. And when you're able to dive into rather obscure stories in the Bible and everyone's nodding their heads and so forth, and they're right there with you and they're asking questions about it, whatever you, you all are doing is, is definitely working. One of the things, Mark, and I, I'll butt in there, no, let's go ahead. just came to me is one of the values that we have is that we are self-feeders. Mm. And uh, I, I say it like this, that you know, I've got all these grandkids. And I remember when my uh, uh, daughter um, one day asked me to feed uh, one of my grandsons who was about eight months old, something like that. She had a bottle and she had to do something else. And I said, it would be my privilege. And I, you know, I took him in, in my arms and I put the bottle up and I fed him. And I, I had a thought at that moment. I thought, this is a privilege. This really is. But you know, when he turns 18 or 20, if he crawls up into my lap <laughs> and, feed him a bottle, and you got to part the face hair to get the, you know, the bottle in, right? that's just not right. And so that's kind of a picture of how we do it at Seacoast. If you come to Seacoast, um, before long, you're going to figure out that this is a self-feeding church. And mm. we encourage that. Uh, we point them in right directions, but we let them know that uh, all your feeding is not going to come on the weekend. In other words, their their growth is their responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, if you can't find um, uh, good things these days, and even... You know, I, I, I get a lot of questions on the Bible and um, I can I can be the Bible answer man or I can point them online and say, you know what, uh, number one, Google it and understand that not everything that is out there is is accurate. But if you, you can get a uh, under a preponderance of the evidence, you can figure this out. It's out there. Sometimes I'll give them a website to go to and I'm excited about being able to do that with biblical expeditions, you know, with, with the things that you're doing. But um, rather than be the answer man, uh, I want to teach them to get their own answers. And so that's part of what we do. Well, you know, I think that that's so important because part of what our goals are and what our values are is that you don't have to become a scholar in order to read the Bible. And the reality is that we have more information now about the world of the Bible than we ever have in human history right at our fingertips. It's just learning how to use those details to help you better understand the words of the Bible. But it's, but you're absolutely right. The information is out there. We have more information today than they did in the Middle Ages or the Reformation or at any point in human history to make ourselves to be better interpreters of the word. So I think that's great. Let me ask this question of you, though. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see when when people come or barriers, struggles even, that they have when they try and approach the Bible? Um, you know, w- one of the things before we even talk about the Bible itself is the fact that you are dealing with a generation and generations who didn't go to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. They didn't learn it, you know, in a consistent way, by and large, you have exceptions to that. But if you looked at the, at the overall population, I would say that, uh, that it's, um, yeah, there, there's not a lot of 
foundational training. Um, obviously, uh, a barrier can be uh, in understanding is just getting a version that makes sense to you, you know, that you, right. you can understand. And I preach from, I mean, I know, I know all the different versions of the Bible and I, and I know most of the pros and cons, but in order for, to be an example to the people, I preach from the new, uh, new living translation mm-hmm. and from the NIV. And I don't think they're inferior. There are others that might be a little bit more accurate, uh, but I think you've got to be a pretty good Bible scholar to, to get, get that deep and figure that out. But if we can put the Bible in a language that people can access, um, and that's what Bible translators do, uh, then I think that's half the battle right there. Uh, I think it's, it's wonderful what uh, my friends at Life Church have done uh, with the uh, YouVersion Bible, uh, because you, you, can, you can have the Bible at your fingertips and any version that you want at, uh, you know, anywhere that you are. So uh, we, and we, and we train them, we train our people on that. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, I was thinking about a message that my son, Josh, who's the lead pastor now did a few weeks ago, months ago by now, but uh, we have a big screen and he took a, a little, uh, uh, you know, iPhone and uh, we superimposed it on the big screen while he was up there. And he showed them how to go into version and uh, get a, a, a Bible study devotional, how to read the Bible, how, and, you know, just everybody get your phone out. We can do this. And uh, so the opportunities are incredible. The barriers, you know, uh, I think have to do with a basic level of ignorance of biblical things and, uh, um, just, uh, you know, in, in accessibility, uh, to, uh, scripture you can understand. I would, I would agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And we just launched our online learning platform, windows into the Bible university. And the very first course is dealing with this very aspect you're talking about. What is the Bible, but helping people to understand the whole issue of translations and versions and how you go about using them, one, from your the standpoint of your own comfort and your own reading and devotion, but at, then at the same time, if you're going to study, how you can use more than one version in your study to help you to kind of sift through the different translation ideas and principles that you know the different versions will have. Do you see it as a challenge that a lot of time, you know, when, when you and I sit down with a, a normal book, we start on page one and we read it through to the, you know, from cover to cover. Is that a problem? Do you find that people have when they approach the Bible, not necessarily having some of the foundational kind of points that you were talking about that, they start reading through, and of course, the Bible's not organized chronologically. It's, you know, topical. And how all of these things fit in together, do you see that as a challenge that people oh, face? Without a doubt. Not to mention that there are, uh, you know, whole passages of Leviticus that, um, you know, you go, what in the world was that about? You know, especially <laughs> if you're a this is your first time through. And then you get over into, you know, Joshua and judges 
and it is bloody, bloody, bloody. What's what's up with that? You know, right. And what's interesting, it's a delicate dance because when someone first comes to Christ, we recommend that they not go from page one to you know uh, to the end of the thing, but start out in the New Testament. You know, maybe mm-hmm. one of the Gospels, John, obviously is a good one to start with. Um, jump over to James, which is so easy to apply to your life. Uh, but at some point you're going to need to dig or it will help you understand the Bible better. If you dig into, um, you know, what is Leviticus about? Uh, how did they, even more fundamental than that, how, how did they come up with the canon of the Bible? You know, um, right. what, what was the culture? Who was Paul talking about? And two, uh, when he did the teaching on, you know, women in ministry, um, just digging deeper, which is one of the reasons I'm very excited about what you're doing, uh, because it's been my privilege to be able to <laughs> sit down with you on a bus ride in Jerusalem for hours and go, Mark, help me to understand this, or what do you think about this? And uh, uh, to have a lot of people with access to maybe some deeper truths and wisdom that, uh you know, I don't think you need in order to get to heaven, get your 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 card punched by any means. Faith in Jesus, <laughs> but in order to live everyday life, which is what the Bible helps us to do, uh, it's better if you can have a basic understanding of uh, what some things mean. Yeah, I oftentimes will tell people that uh, Leviticus is the book where all annual Bible reading plans go to die. That's it. <laughs> you, you know, you're charging along through. Genesis and Exodus, and then you get into Leviticus, and it's like, what yeah. in the world? And I think that's why a lot of those one-year Bibles have to sprinkle in a psalm a day yeah, and some Proverbs to, you know, kind of yeah. carry them through. You're right. You are absolutely right. Well, let me ask this. As a pastor, as you know, and you already alluded to some of it, like with the, the Joshua and Judges, where it's kind of ancient Game of Thrones kind of stuff, um, how... How do you handle the messiness when we start to really get into the Bible and people begin to study their Bible and it doesn't behave the way sometimes we theologically would like it to? How do you help people navigate that well, within you your know, church? And it's there's not an easy answer to that. Uh, I think um, we have to know the context of the time. I, I also think we need to read the Bible as story. It's the story of God from the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, how he interacts with uh, his people, uh, Jesus coming, and then how we're to live together, and then Jesus coming again. It's, it's, a, it's a long story. There are, uh, there are uh, human beings in the story that don't act like they should. God meets them where they're at, and also, it's uh, it's really not fair to put uh, common day morality with four thousand years ago. Uh, times were <laughs> different; true. they really were. And there's messy stuff. I mean, one year we wanted to do a family series uh, and just take a biblical family and just use that, and we couldn't find one that wasn't like totally screwed up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> think about that. You know, show me one that really worked the way it was supposed to. And uh, so the, you've got flawed human beings 
like you and I that God chose to work through mm-hmm. uh, and meet at whatever level they were in order to bring us into the fullness of who he's created us to be. So, you know, I think that that's really, it's, that's a great answer because this is one of the things that just over the years myself, I've encountered that a lot of times people will struggle. They, they hear, I need to read the Bible. I need to read the Bible. And then they make that commitment. And all of a sudden they're brought face to face not just with some of these laws in Leviticus that don't make a lot of sense, but then you've got, you know, the story of the patriarchs that, as you said, are kind of messed up families. You have the genocides, you know, in Joshua and Judges. You know, David's a man after God's own heart, but he's kind of going sideways all the time. I, I mean, it's it's a very, but it is, the Bible's a very mm-hmm. real book. And I think that your your comment about contextualizing it actually brings that reality even more to the, the fore because when we look at someone within their world, it, it helps us, whether or not it's a one-to-one correlation with our world, it at least helps us to understand yes. and appreciate them better. Yeah, there's without a doubt. And uh, that's actually, uh, for me, where Bible study and Bible reading gets rich is when I run into one of these, oh my goodness, what in the world's up with that? Uh, Here's my assumption. I tell our church this. My assumption is God's right, God is loving, God is just. So I need to, it's probably the way I'm looking at it. So I need to really dig and let's find out what's going on here. And uh, that, right. and I, I enjoy those things. I enjoy those deep digs. Let me ask this, kind of following on that, we're living, as you know better than I, in a very polarizing world today. And it's increasingly polarized. And we see the Bible being used on both sides to try and support various claims, agenda, etc. How do you help leaders understand how to work with the Bible so that we move beyond just this kind of polarizing conversation that, I mean, I was struck even myself just this week thinking that in some ways the one person in human history that's not allowed to be who he was in human history is Jesus. He, you know, he becomes the mouthpiece for everybody. For everybody, that's true. How do you help people when they're surrounded with this, whether it's in church culture, you know, American culture, to find, if you will, the voice of God through the Bible without just let's take it and and use it to be my billy club for my soapbox. Well, I think we have to, first of all, approach it, understanding that, that we're approaching this with bias. Okay. Um, whatever your bias is, you're, when you're reading the Bible, you're reading it through, uh, the lenses, the bias that you have. And so if you know that, then maybe you can, with a, a degree of, you know, honestly, just go, uh, you know, I need to really dig and figure out what's going on here 
rather than just skimming some surface quotes to support my political or racial point of view. And uh, what you need to know is that one of the things you need to know is that Jesus uh, is, is not a Republican. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty fu- fundamental, but it's true. And, oh, by the way, he's not a Democrat either, you know. Uh, in in fact, I, I think that one of the more powerful things about Jesus and one of the more powerful things about uh, being a, a religious leader is um, if you can speak prophetically into, in America, it's those two parties, and around the world, it's others, but if you're above the fray a little bit, uh, rather than beholden to one party or another, uh, then maybe you can speak prophetically uh, both directions. And, um, you know, I think, uh, anyway, that's my my opinion on it. And um, uh, I think it's helpful uh, to, just this morning, I, I was, I do a morning encouragement thing and, and, uh, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of this whole racial tension thing. And uh, so I kind of just didn't go real deep, but broke out Ephesians 2 and the fact that Ephesians 2 deals with uh, racial tension. Uh, It it is Mm -hmm. uh, Jewish people and Gentiles and um, the tension that is between them and then it gets even messier when you get both of them in a church, and uh, you know you've got all of these all these things going on. And Ephesians two talks about Jesus being the answer to all of that. That God, it wasn't a mistake when God created races. Uh, he he intended them to walk together in unity, not necessarily being alike. In fact, not even not necessarily didn't expect this to be alike. We each our own. Uh, you know, individual personalities, skin color, um, uh, preferences, culture, culture, all of that. And to say, boy, I don't see color. Well, you know, I do. And I'm glad I do. And uh, color creates uh, texture. Uh, but it also makes it complicated. But if you can understand that, that God created that and he, he desires racial unity, so how do we do that? And that's not by throwing Bible scriptures at one another. In fact, I think, I think the entire Bible is about relationship. That's why I say read it as a story. It's a story of God's relationship with us, how we relate to him, and how we're to relate to one another. And uh, so uh, I think if we, if we approach issues and, and read the Bible in the context of of relationships, sitting up real close to somebody who doesn't see it quite the way that I do. You can throw rocks from a distance, but you can only influence up close and you can only learn up close. Right. And uh, so anyway, um, I'll get off my soapbox there, but I I think that uh, we read the Bible relationally. I think it's helpful. I, I appreciate you, you bringing that very specific example. I think and I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast conversation about this just on this very topic, because one of the things that I think where we in the modern church oftentimes, because especially in the Protestant tradition, Paul has been so theologically foundational um, for us, 
we read everything that he writes almost in a theological echo chamber. And really the issues that he's dealing with are social and mm -hmm. ethnic, as you mentioned. And I think that there's a lot that he could say if we would contextualize him to speak to these issues that we wrestle with racially, ethnically, and so forth, because ultimately he's trying to bring together two very diverse communities that don't mix really well. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that uh, to get to hear him, we have to step into his world and understand him within his world. And then I think it can have profound impact on, you know, how we process and articulate our own thoughts uh, on these matters today. Definitely. And that's one of the reasons I love going to Israel with you. And uh, you kind of start from here's what was going on in this world. And then here's what was said to it. And here's an application for our world today. And what a great way to understand the Bible. That's, you know, we say all the time that our purpose is to make better disciples by helping people to understand the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's exactly the process is by entering into its world, we understand its words, and then we can make application today. Couple final just questions. First one is, I know you invest a lot in leaders and pastors and in their development what are some challenges that you see them having in terms of reading, understanding, and communicating the Bible? What are the, the big challenges that even pastors face? One of the challenges they face is they've got to preach every seven days. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the model that we have. And uh, so sometimes there's just a desperation to uh, you know, I've got to be profound and, uh, 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 you know, preach the message of my life every weekend, we sometimes feel like. And uh, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for curiosity, uh, deep dives, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, think, I think that's one thing, mm -hmm. schedule. I, th I think another thing is exactly what we're talking about here is um, – how do I, how do I contextualize this? I mean, what do I know? Do I, and you can find this stuff, but um, who do I trust on it? You know, on why this happened in the Bible or, or what's the construct here? Uh, and another one, which leads right into what you portion of what you do is uh, man, I, I wish I would have gone to Israel um, years ago years ago, because we have got the geographic model for what happened back then. And as you so aptly teach, um, the, the geography has a big part to play in what's going on in the, in the lessons in the Bible and the things that people are doing. And, and so, uh, you know, and very few pastors, really, honestly, especially uh, the younger the, the younger it trends have been able to go to Israel and to see the land of the Bible. Right. Let me ask a question then in 
going back to your first statement about schedule, do you find then that one of the ways to help is to do more kind of an expository, you know, preaching through a book of the Bible? Does that help more? Sometimes, but you know what? Um, you can't make a rule on that. Um, Jesus didn't do that. Sure. Paul didn't do that. <laughs> but that's what you got to do right. today. You know, uh, it, at times, uh, at times, I just love to do uh, just verse by verse through the Bible. Um, that's that's awesome. Uh, at other times, um, you take a topic and go, "What does the Bible say about this topic?" So I don't know that you can make a big case that one is the right way and the other isn't. Um, but uh, yeah, if you are going verse by verse uh, through. Sometimes it forces you to confront, you know, the hard verses, the more difficult ones, right? especially if you're asking the people to read along with you. Right. Well, final question then, uh, Pastor Greg, and you've already touched on it a little bit, but, but what have you seen that those trips have done, not only for you, but within the life of the folks in your wow. church? How have they come back and engaged the Bible differently because of their travel? Oh, it is a... Uh, at least a master class or doctorate level education in just a short period of time. I'm not saying you should get your doctorate for going with Mark for, you know, 10 days. That's not what I'm saying, <laughs> but it accelerates. Uh, it, there are so many aha moments there and then they come home and they're digging and they got their maps, you know, and they're, Oh yeah, I remember when I was here. And then the, the repeats, uh, get it even better the second or third time. It's like reading your Bible in 3D, you know. You just, yeah. you see things, you feel things, you even smell things differently uh, when you can be in the land and uh, see uh, what was it like. And, you know, we, we're what, 2,000 years later than Jesus and 4,000 years later than some of the Old Testament uh, uh, stories, mm -hmm. but the land is still the same. I mean, the cities have changed, yeah. but the mountains are, you know, the, the topography is it's, it's still there. And, uh, so that's, that was very eye opening to me and is to the people that we, uh, that we take. Well, pastor Greg, I want to just, again, thank you for your time and for your wisdom. Appreciate you being with us. And, uh, sharing your insights and we may have to have you back on, on a, a future date. Sounds good, Mark. All right. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the windows into the Bible podcast. I'm Mark Turnage. You've been listening to the windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.